Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Great to have you back. Simon Alicia here in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm joined this week by Dustin Lucian, who's COO at Betterment. Welcome to the podcast, Dustin. Thank you, Simon. Good to be here. Good to have you here. Now, now Dustin, you've worn a number of hats at your time at Betterment and some pretty cool hats. Um, VP of Engineering, CTO, now COO. Um, what does Betterment do before we get into details of some of the interesting things you have to share with us today? Sure. Um, so Betterment is the, the largest independent robo-advisor. Um, we manage roughly $6 billion in assets and have over 200,000 customers on the platform. So basically, you can think about it. We use automation to invest your money in globally diversified portfolios of uh, ETFs and index funds and then give you uh, personalized access to uh, the risk models on top of those funds. And so you can change your, your risk exposure, but all of it's based on a goal orientation. So um, asking the question of what do you want to do with your money? Um, and then we help you answer that question through personalized advice. Fantastic. It's a, it's a really great use case of using significant amount of data and, and reducing the complexity for the average person about where to invest. And it's funny when you think about investment, it's it's kind of analogous to that the uh, the fruit tree model is like, when's the best time to plant a fruit tree was 20 years ago. Uh, right, the next right. best time is now. <laughs> it's kind of the same right. with your time, isn't it? Yeah, you can't beat time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if you don't start early, it's hard to catch up. And so a lot of what we do is in guiding good behavior from the beginning. And the best behavior is to save uh, along the way. And that's that's recommending uh, contribution to 401ks and, and IRAs and things like that, as well as saving taxable assets as you go. And, and, and yes, you can't start too soon. I, we had our first <laughs> child this year and she's already investing. So good. Well done. Uh, she'll hopefully be <laughs> in a better, better spot than I'm in. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting looking at the, at the, the offering as well as at the, the interaction through, you know, the mobile devices and laptops, et cetera. It's so much more modernized and accessible than it used to be. Um, I think it's, it's very helpful for that, that newer generation that's coming through. Now, obviously, um, uh, Dustin, you, you spent a lot of time with the team building this product and you've gone through a journey. And I know a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing a bit about that journey. So maybe give us a little snapshot of, of the world of the, uh, the the fintech startup and what's what's been going on for Betterment. Sure. Um, the little bit of the stories I, I started with the company almost four years ago now as the VP of engineering. And there were about five people on our engineering team and something like 22, 23 people in, in the company. Um, and so just very different uh, model of product development, very, you know, scrappy startup uh, focused. Everybody could sit around a, a table together um, and you could solve problems kind of on the fly uh, in that way. And didn't, you didn't need a whole lot of formal process. And um, uh, obviously we we're a regulated company at the time. So we have a, a ton of change controls and things like that, but process as far as kind of planning um, way out into the future. There's no 18-month plan when you're a 25-person company. Um, but uh, when I joined, there was a, a you know, we, we knew that this was a, a business that could scale and wanted to prep for scale. And thinking about scaling engineering organizations is figuring out how to be able to replicate patterns, easy patterns across the team over time and, and being able to give the tools um, for, uh, you know, empowerment of small teams to everybody as the company grows. So basically take that model of the five person engineering team or the, the small startup 
and print that small startup through the organization as it continues to grow. So every team can function to some degree the same way that that original startup was able to function. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, taking the, the, the product design and engineering teams on that journey, uh, helping them along the way as much as I can to get the right tools in their hand and, uh, or hands and uh, helping as I can with process and and prioritization and things like that is what I, I get a lot of joy out of. And so it's really interesting you're talking about sort of op- optimizing your teams for that autonomy and ability to move quickly and efficiently as you grow. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge gift I think you give to the organization if you can do that early on, which clearly you've done. What part did using AWS play in that process in terms of enabling those teams? Well, I think uh, you know one of the things that we wanted to, to be able to, to say very early on is in growing you know, just focus on the engineering team first and growing the engineering team. Um, we wanted to be able to say some things that we had heard other startups uh, say about, about their teams. We wanted to be able to have uh, engineers be productive within a very short period of time. We wanted environment set up to be easy, kind of, I call it part of the walls, right? You don't want to think about it too much. And we wanted to be able to rely on automation for as much as possible. I mean, we rely on automation in every aspect of our process, our product. So we need to be able to rely on automation in every aspect of our engineering team operations. And so that was, that was where AWS really started to, to become more and more attractive. Uh, you know, I mentioned before we got started that we weren't initially on Amazon. Um, we were co-locating our own hardware. Um, and that was, you know, one of the things that I think in inception of the company was seen as a best practice in in financial services at the time. And this was uh, six, five, six, seven years ago. Um, and then when I came on, I, I questioned that as a necessary best practice because I really wanted to be able to give the team access to the most modern tools and stack available. And I also wanted to be able to empower them to be able to spin up you know, a replica of our production environment uh, with the push of a button so that they could test out new functionality or, um, you know, work through a, a challenging uh, customer issue or something like that. But I didn't want that to be a barrier to the team. And, and Amazon was the obvious choice for providing that kind of programmable interface to the infrastructure. And, and that automation and that culture piece, I think, are a really interesting combination because it's interesting when I speak to customers, some are very... Uh, like yourself, pro saying, or you know, developers can spin up full replicas of the environment and do what they need to do. Whereas others tend to be a little more conservative. Where they're like, well, it might cost us a bit more money. Um, you know, what about the overhead, etc. Yeah. How did you come to have this this concept of being kind of really very uh, permissive in terms of people spinning up environments and managing their environment? Well, I just uh, you have to put in place some reasonable constraints. So you can't spin up 15 environments and then just leave them there for the next three months. That's just that's just wasteful. Um, so there are just uh, some reasonable operating constraints for the team to work under. But if you also look at the the unit economics, if you try to you know, you take some swags at some numbers of like how much of a productivity impact is not being able to have the latest snapshot of production data available to you alone so that you can make changes to it in working on a particular, uh, you know, particularly hairy issue. Um, you know, everything was motivated around productivity of our engineers and our engineering team. And at the scale that we've been at, the cost was marginal relative to the size of the team. Now, 
now, I will say that at the scale that we're arriving at, I have to pay more attention. So the constraints are going to be a little bit different going into the next era of growth for betterment. And I think we won't be able to um, be as, I won't call it loose, but we won't be able to give everybody the keys to the castle to be able to spin up a testing environment. Um, and we'll have to put some different constraints on it because the economics have started to uh, to show, you know, show up a little bit more recently and that the, the cost has gotten a little bit larger per engineering head or per new team than we'd like it to be. But we haven't been focused on efficiency of spend so much yet. And I think we've got a lot we can do there, obviously, with the reserved instances and things that you all provide, some containerization and some other things that we can start to leverage to create, you know, greater density, greater capital usage across the environment. For sure. And that optimization is a very, it's a very common journey that a lot of uh, organizations go through. And it's, it's one of the things that, you know, in the solution architect community, we, we get most excited about is helping our customers save money. So um, it's, you sort of go through this path, I think, where you, you look to optimize the speed of the team and the performance of the team, because that's, that's what's paying the bills. That's what's uh, creating the product that people want to buy. Yeah, um, I didn't, then you I can, just, I didn't want to reinvent is, anything. Oops, I'm sorry. Sam. I think we had a little sorry, delay. No, go ahead, yeah, I just I didn't want to reinvent every, anything. Uh, and, yeah, there was a, a thread of conversation of, you know, could we do um, a lot of things in our local environments? Um, but um, I just didn't feel like we were going to have the same access to and sharing of knowledge. Um, amongst the team and across the team as they continue to grow if we were trying to automate a lot of things and, and, and um, keep them local, keep a lot of the automation and changes local rather than in a shared um, available environment or set of environments. And so, yeah, I, I just I think we were much more productive because we were able to leverage this shared the shared programmable infrastructure. It's a great point because you're sort of forcing forcing that integration point earlier and you can always go back and optimize for cost afterwards. So it's not like you're right. making a capital investment that you're fixed into. Right. So how often uh, do your teams typically deploy? Like uh, are they on a, on, a, on a daily cycle, on an as-needed cycle? You talked about automation. Talk us through a little bit about that side of it. Yeah, we don't have any forced, um, you know, the, the systems have to be deployed at least once a day. But... So I'd, I'd characterize it as an as needed, um, but we do deploy basically once a day at least. Um, some days, maybe more often. Um, we have a, a number of different products that we support. We have different tiers of environments, so we're not making changes to our core financial systems as often as we might make changes or launch tests for our uh, our marketing experiences, but uh, but generally something is going out, something is changing every. That's really good, and that's that's one of those things I sort of characterise as uh, exercising your deployment muscle. It's like uh, the organisation as a whole knows how to deploy on such a regular basis that when you are doing uh, deployments on maybe high value systems or systems that are processing high value transactions, you're probably a lot more confident than if you're only deploying once a quarter. Definitely, uh, it takes a lot of the risk out of it. I'd rather deploy. Um, something that could be a potentially large change set in small increments over a longer period of time. And so we, we do all the things that you would expect a, a modern technology organization to do. We, we uh, hide things behind feature flags for internal consumption only um, and very much dog food our product before um, before the public uh, has access to it or is, is impacted by it. And so you know, I think everybody in Betterment is a Betterment customer and, and definitely anybody that uses our 401k internally is a 401k customer. So we, we, we dog food quite a bit. 
<laughs> they've all got they've all got skin in the game on that one. That's yeah. For sure. <laughs> And, and uh, did you want to men- maybe mention uh, any of the specific uh, AWS services that the team likes to use or has had good success? Sure. I'm, I'm probably not as fluent as our uh, as our SREs would be in all of the things that we're taking advantage of. I know we're looking at the, some newer things like Lambda and some of the services like that, but we aren't relying on them so much. It's pretty much your, your stock and trade, right? Like we, uh, we rely heavily on EC2. We rely heavily on RDS. Um, and those are the two services that we go back to, and that that, that that forms the core of our of our infrastructure. We are moving and relying more and more on Redshift over a roll your own data warehouse, and I think that's very much performance and, and data scale related. Um, and uh, I think those are the those are the big services. Um, we're not as exotic as maybe some other places might be, but we're we're looking at some of the other services and always keeping an eye out. And of course. S3, uh, we, we use that for storage and we're uh, using Glacier um, for some long-term storage. Uh, and also thinking of looking at Glacier, haven't rolled it out yet, but probably roll it out in the next uh, few months here is starting to use Glacier more and more for our compliance-oriented archival needs since you guys yeah. have just recently supported 17A-4 on those on those platforms. For sure. We certainly have lots and lots of uh, documents that need to be kept for the uh, for in perpetuity to some extent. So um, kind of the right place to put it, which is great. Yep. So um, so obviously using the using the fundamentals, using some of the things that make sense when you're scaling, um, it's the way to go because really an organization like yourself is constantly growing, constantly changing, and um, that, that online experience is so important. It's really the scalability and the performance is a big part of the user experience as well. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. I mean, it's uh, it's wonderful to be able to, and this is probably an old uh, kind of an old description, and, and most people would say this now, but it's really nice to be able to have more power on tap fairly easily if you build your applications to scale horizontally fairly uh, in a fairly straightforward way. It's nice to be able to do that when you know we have a media event or uh, we're launching new product and those sorts of things. And so we can scale up and scale down uh, in lockstep with demand. Fantastic. Fantastic. Dustin, thanks so much for, for joining us today. You can find Betterment, uh, www.betterment.com. Uh, and Dustin, it's been great to have a chat and get some insight into how you guys operate. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, uh, happy to do this. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Dustin. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.